Nation. Deja vu. I've told you to go away. Selling our water. People that use it for economic benefit should pay for it. And digging into Ihumato. We're still standing on stolen land. Welcome to One News Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering here at One News. I'm Katie Bradford. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Benedict Collins. So uh, it's been a busy big week this week, attention mainly on one person, but uh, let's start with Pits and Peaks. Yeah, so I guess um, I I might just sort of have a bit of a rundown of what's been a a a bit of an amazing week. Um, (laughs) I mean, the peak for me would be um, huge congrats to... um, Matt Shan, the journalist, um, I think he's at Waikato Times, but working for Stuff, who's done this um, sort of really good series of stories looking at this um, shadowy New Zealand First Foundation um, that's basically bankrolling the party um, and the party's putting donations. All their donations are going into this foundation. It's then loaning money um, to the party itself, uh, which pays it back with interest. Um, You know, pretty sensational stories but it's been quite an incredible week last last friday on radio new zealand they reported that um brian henry mr peter's lawyer um is involved in a company as a um, director and winston peter's partner jan trotman they're both directors on this company that's tried to get about a hundred million dollars of um public money through the um Billion Trees program and through the provincial growth fund both were knocked back one by um officials one by um won by Labour Party ministers after Shane Jones stepped aside. Um, And then on Monday, we tried to ask Winston about this, what was going on. He called a a colleague a psycho. Um, And then then on Tuesday, we had this story, the series of stories start breaking about the New Zealand First Foundation. It's been quite an exceptional week. Very, very interesting um, to be here at Parliament for it. It's been a rolling moor for you guys ever since, hasn't it? Mm. But what's your pits and peaks? So I think that would be my peak, um, just following this, this story all week. Mm. Yeah, alrighty. Um, my peak this week, I'm looking at Katie Bradford because for those avid listeners of the podcast, um, you would recall that we have all done the uh, Pottermore, getting a little bit getting a little bit casual here, guys, but we did the Pottermore um, quiz, which sorts you into your uh, Hogwarts house. So Katie being the newest, uh, well, newest, but then also returning recruit in the office, we uh, got her to do it. And uh, would you like to tell the, the viewers what your house is, Katie? So apparently I'm Hufflepuff if that makes sense to anyone. Which is the goody goods, for those of you who don't know. Kind, reliable, loyal, trusting, not trusting, I'm cynical. But uh, but, uh, Mikey's shock horror to this, I have a big confession to make. I have never read Harry Potter or watched Harry Potter. And as her biggest shock about this is that anyone who knows me knows that I read a lot. Yes. <laughs> Katie a is lot a of bookworm books. and she yeah. hasn't read Harry Potter. It's an outrage. <laughs> and so, Quite frankly. And so then, though, this led me to do all sorts of other quizzes. We have been very busy this week, I yes. promise. This was after 6pm I did these Some quizzes. Some of us, have I? <laughs> <laughs> it was after 6pm I did these quizzes and I found out I have a wand, wand with a unicorn something on it and also that my animal is a husky. Yes, so none of that makes any sense to me. But. Hopefully, 
she'll read the books now. And in keeping with this uh, sort of childlike theme, my other peak this week is, of course, the opening of the new play space on the on the grounds of Parliament, out front of Parliament there on the lawns, uh, an initiative by the Speaker Trevor Mallard, a beautiful sort of big slide with um, other sort of balancing beams and that sort of thing, trying to make it a bit more kid-friendly. Um, my two youngest kids always come and pick me up from work and so I um, gave them a quick little squiz on the playground and they just loved it. Did you go on the slide yourself? Absolutely not. I might give birth <laughs> on the slide if I did that, guys. <laughs> and we wouldn't want that. Um, but no, yeah, congrats to the speaker. A really nice playground. I was a little bit worried because I was thinking, oh God, it's going to ruin the aesthetics of Parliament, you know, with the beautiful lawns that we have. But actually the design is, is beautiful. So kudos. Yeah, I think, um, oh, what about your pit? My pit. My pit this week also has to do with families, and it, it, it is, of course, um, the measles outbreak in Samoa. Mm. Really sad um, stuff happening over there with the measles outbreak. We've already seen 11 deaths confirmed and around 1,000 suspected cases of measles there. We had our One News Pacific correspondent, Barbara Driva, down on the ground um, in Samoa covering the issue, and you, know, you just saw scenes of um, hospitals bursting at the seams, schools shut down, um, one family lost three children to measles. Um, so devastating stuff over there, and um, and really scary. So it's been it's been sort of um, sobering to watch that one. Yeah, my pet not so sobering, but is Winston Peters yet again using claims of fake news when it comes to all these the, all of this. S- s- scandal or whatever you call it surrounding him but it's it's very frustrating that it, you know it's going off what Trump does and others do but it's really frustrating that as soon as there's an argument as soon as there's something's going on you revert to saying it's fake news and attacking the media as opposed to actually just uh, responding to it or not responding whatever he chooses to don't accuse us of fake news because New Zealand media takes this really seriously we're really careful with how we cover these things everyone works really really hard and I don't think that it's fake news as he likes to call it. I find that really frustrating. Yeah, and I, and I think leading up to the election, we've got to worry about this more and more. That that uh, and we see it with these attack ads and everything that's going on. And of course, Andrew Little s- talked about setting up this misinformation unit. But I um, I worry that next year is going to become a lot about this, about people as soon as they feel like they're losing an argument or they don't like um, an argument or they don't like a story, they say it's fake news and there are members of the public who believe that's what it is as opposed to actually just listening or reading or watching to what's going on. And the media's already scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes to public trust. We're always sort of ranking very lowly um, in terms of public trust and confidence in an industry and you always see the media there on the bottom so to have the MP sort of kick us um, uh, repeatedly yeah, I, I, as well. I think for um, I, I guess people, you know, out, outside of the press gallery and away from Parliament a bit. What what I take away from this is you've got this this week. You've got this sort of news breaking about the secretive foundation, which Winston Peters says, "Oh, hey, despite it being his close associates, you know, his personal lawyer and um, other associate Doug Woolerton who run it, he says, oh, 'I'm not responsible for this. I'm not responsible for this. You need to go and ask them.'" And then you go to those guys, and they refuse to talk and to you. And they say so they're not responsible, or they're not. Or, and they won't. They won't answer questions, yeah. right? Yeah. So you've got this shadowy foundation. No one's prepared to, you know, answer these questions. And then Winston turns around and says fake news. You know. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's what's frustrating about it. Also, Winston's right there. 
there has been huge problems in New Zealand around donations to political parties. It's not just New Zealand first. And National is under investigation at the moment by the SFO. And Labor's had problems in the past. It's not like New Zealand first are the only ones to it. But it is our job to ask questions about it and to try and find out what's going on and make sure the public knows that any money that political parties are getting isn't for favours or isn't for some kind of political favour in return. Yeah, and that's a point that someone made um, in the track that we're about to play, Transparency International. Let's have a look at this and then we can keep discussing it off the back. The circus continues. Now that's not a question about this matter today, so what's your next question? While across town, the latest development in the New Zealand First funding fiasco had broken. From the Right Honourable Winston Peters lawyer, Mr Brian Henry, threatening to sue for $30 million. I'm not suing anybody. So you've turned up here today, you've personalised this, as though I'm the person who's the, uh, the claimant or is bringing the litigation, well, and, and I'm not. Nick Smith, who labelled the New Zealand First Foundation, a wrought yesterday, clearly intimidated. The $30 million sum in the email is incredibly threatening. At the graduation of 1,800 new cops, today was supposed to be a good news story. But the Prime Minister's caught up in her deputy's mess. Do you not want to do a joint stand up with Mr. Peters today? No, not at all. It's simply not my practice to do joint stand ups. Um, I'm here with you now to ask questions on the 1800 police if you choose to ask them. But you'll know from your long time in the gallery, it's not my habit of doing uh, joint press conferences. It would appear that's not always the case. Feel free to fire away. Right, thanks everyone. Unless we're fighting penguins, it might be the best place to have the Navy as well. Mr Peters MPs, though, not so keen to chat about the foundation bankrolling their party. Those who are concerned about this foundation are worried that Mr Peters could be using it to hide the identities of people who are donating money to his party. But a horse breeder that one you spoke to this morning said he didn't care how the party got his donation as long as it got to Mr Peters, who he said delivers for the industry. But this corruption watchdog has long had concerns at the way political parties are allowed to operate here. If there's a possibility to hide things in foundations, that opens the door for some influence from, from places that have different ideologies than we do, have different cultures than we do. Mr Peters leaving the country for Japan today. One more time, we don't, and I don't, run the foundation. It's your mates who do, Mr Peters. The Prime Minister probably only too happy to say sayonara. Right, so Matt Shand, who um, broke the story earlier this week, basically um, stuff, they are calling this um, foundation a slush fund. Um, they're saying it's just getting hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars. Then it's loaning money to the party. Um, you know, all all hidden, uh, very secretive fund. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's just been fascinating, and they've been able to come up with example after example after example of people who are donating money into this into this foundation. And there's just zero transparency around it. And I thought it was um, quite fascinating. You know, you basically got this dark money foundation at the heart of this government, and yet earlier this week we had Jacinda Ardern saying, "Oh, this, you know, when we, when we sh- she was asked, are you worried that you know p- people pay money into this foundation could be getting policy gains while you're in the dark?" Mm-hmm. And she's saying, "Well, this is a matter for the electoral commission. This is a matter for the electoral commission. Well, it's clearly not. It's a matter for you know, it goes right to the heart and integrity of the government when you've got this suspicious foundation bankrolling New Zealand first, especially when there's also been allegations around the provincial growth fund 
you know, and and who's been applying to that, and Shane Jones having to excuse himself from cabinet when it comes to so from decisions on it when it comes to some some of the applications. Um, there is there is a lot of murkiness around it, and the government that is taxpayers' money being handed out by the provincial growth fund. They need to make that sure that is totally above board because it's a lot of money we're talking about. Mm. I think in the Prime Minister's defence, it, it is a tricky issue for her to wade in on, though, because she's obviously in a coalition. It's not her party. It's, it would be tiresome to have to you know, be answerable for another party, especially one like New Zealand First. And I think we have to remember here that it's not a sort of minor party that Labour invited into the fold in terms of this coalition. Winston Peters was the kingmaker. He made the decision to go with Labour. So in terms of that power struggle there, we've already seen it play out on issues. Um, She doesn't have that much weight and she wouldn't also want to jump the gun on this until, of course, the Electoral Commission has found some sort of um, um, wrongdoing um, and illegality, especially when she does have her senior coalition partner, the kingmaker, her deputy prime minister swearing black and blue, that nothing, that everything is above board and nothing illegal is happening. And so, you know, it, to, to say to her, no, no, we want action now, I don't know if that's necessarily realistic um, for the position that she's in at the moment. Yeah, there were some calls for her to call a snap, snap election over this. We're not going to see that happen. But it, you could get to a point next year, electoral, electoral commission investigations. It's not actually even an official investigation. They've said they're looking into it. Yeah. There's a long way so, to go before anything. They can then refer it to the police, who can refer it to ECFO if which they want all to. Takes which months, takes months. I mean, SFO, National's been in front of the ECFO for eight yeah, months. Yeah. You know, I mean, even any chance of anything happening before the election. It just falls into a deep, dark hole yeah, once it gets yeah, to the SFO yeah. for, and yeah, so, for but, a long but, time. Which, and often you never hear anything. Back, anything right? about it again. Yeah. But Winston Peters will not want this hanging over him going into the election either. The best case scenario for him is the Electoral Commission comes back and says actually there isn't anything for us, for anyone to look at. If it then gets referred on But it's, it's and bizarre, it right? Months. Because you have this foundation, as stuff has shown, <laughs> that's funding you know, election expenses, like they're paying for the bus on the by-election, yes, they're pa- paying yeah. for campaign headquarters. You know, they're doing very, very... Pl- Legal this, fees for MPs. Yeah, this foundation is bankrolling is bankrolling the party, right? And then the other thing the Electoral Commission may well be looking at many things, but another thing it's definitely going to be looking at is it used just to hide the identities of these mm. donors. Yeah. And and for the Prime Minister, the, the question is why? You know, yeah. who are these donors? Why are they and trying to hide their identities? And she want to know? And of course she does want to know, but... but who these people are who are giving money to New Zealand First because when New Zealand First then rock up in Cabinet and ask for for different policy uh, for, to be passed or to be part of the coalition agreement does she, doesn't she does she want to know what's behind that and why they're asking if there's a reason they're asking that oh she surely does but she wouldn't she wouldn't sort of make that known publicly I mean I, I'd like to uh, you know you can only imagine the discussions that the, her and Winston Peters are having, having behind closed doors she'd be like you better not be you know all of those things but what she says publicly has to be sort of quite, you know, middle of the road, sort of play it safe until she knows for sure. And then she can, and we, and we saw that, you know, in, in, in 2008, was it? And we'll have a look at this sort of historic track soon. Um, but when Helen Clark had to deal with a similar, similar she issue. She dealt with it the exact same way. The and exact I don't, same way. And, and Jacinda Ardern has a number of the same advisors, um, both officially and unofficially, that Helen Clark had. And you can tell, you know, you know she's taking the same advice, which is it's not me, it's not me, it's nothing to do yeah. with me. And it's, it's the same. Same thing all over again, and they say 
history never repeats, but it certainly does in this case, well, especially when Winston Peters is involved. <laughs> and, and yesterday at the police college, like we saw on the track, the, the two, um, like you're saying, the Prime Minister saying it's nothing to do with me, that, that couldn't have been more obvious that, you know, when uh, Winston Peters and then the Prime Minister did separate stand-ups at this, what was supposed to be this big celebration and, hey, we've got their government event and they do separate stand-ups just minutes apart in the same spot, yeah. you know, clearly not wanting to get covered in Winston Peters' mark. They will have, you know, as soon as we you know, realised they had this long event planned around the 1800 police recruit number being reached, which is a whole other political issue. but, mm. but debatable. A deba- yes, very yes, debatable yes. issue as it is. But, and would have been a story in itself on any other day. But, um, but... To, they, you know, they planned to have the prime minister there and the deputy prime minister and say, "Hey, look how well our coalition's doing," and the police minister, and look, this is one of our, this is one of our promises, and we've achieved it, and blah blah blah. You can just imagine yesterday morning when they went, "Oh, great, we've organised this big event uh, mm. with with Jacinda Ardern and Winston Peters meant to be fronting up together, and we've got this photo op, and and, and, and we now have to front up." And I thought there is no way she's going to stand there together with him mm. and front the media together because the optics of that. Are never are going to haunt her forever if they stood there and, and won and did a press conference. And um, the prime minister said a couple of times in the stand, "Oh, I'm here. To, we're here to talk about the police. We're here. You know, don't you want to ask me some questions about the police?" No one did. Yeah. yeah. You know, and anyway, that, that was Winston Peters just totally derailing. Derailing uh, what they wanted. They hoped what, what would should be have been good, you know a good announcement for them. For them, they hoped, which it wouldn't necessarily have been. But looking looking forward, I you know I, I, I sort of want to try and make this point before we, uh, in case we shift on but I think if nothing else right um, if, if if we don't hear from the electoral commission that you know if, you know laws have been broken etc cetera, etc cetera, um, if nothing else surely this and we've heard it so many times before from political parties the Green Party in particular has gone strong on it but surely this needs to be a catalyst um, to, to get these electoral donation laws yeah, we've Under had control. so many changes though. I over mean, the what years. is the excuse for the now past for these 10 guys? Years, there's been it's been tightened up and tightened up and tightened up. Do you know what? We heard Jim Bolger, interestingly, yeah. a former national prime minister, come out and say the other day that he thinks that that political parties should just be publicly funded, yeah. and that has been called for for some time. In fact, I did a policy paper at university on that about 16 years ago about whether that should ever happen, and it's been going on almost that long in terms of how our parties are funded. A lot of people don't like that idea, mm. but if you want to, if you want the transparency there, yeah, there's a whole lot. How do you work the formula? Out? Yeah, how do you yeah, like, and, and like how just, much money. Just, I mean, it just, creates and just huge when you're problems. talking about that, I think like, well, what about for like a new party starting out, yeah. like Sustainable New Zealand yeah. and Vernon that we talked about yeah. last week? You know, how would you yeah. go about allocating funding for a, a party that's it's you know, a, it's just a, trying it, to get it, off the ground. There's huge right? problems for that. You know, you work out the size of them and based on their vote, but if they're new, how do you decide <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. how much Issues money like that, they right? get allocated? Yeah. And then how do you ever, and it already happens with election advertising in terms of, you know, you get allocated based on your size in parliament or, you know, yeah. and, and again, or, or even debates and things like that. It's a, it, is, it is a big problem. But if we want to stop this, how else? How else do you do it? Yep. One, another point just before we go and look, go back to the future. Um, at the start of the week, I asked Tracy Martin. Um, we we're trying to get the New Zealand First MPs. Tracy Martin, former deputy leader, you know, family just so connected with New Zealand First. I said, you know, what do you know about this foundation? And she's like, I know nothing about it. You know, and it, to me that was kind of it kind of illustrated just how secretive Winston and Brian Henry are about the way that they, the party know, works. This this party works, and you know even some of the most senior MPs are totally in the dark about you know what Winston and Brian are doing with this foundation. And Tracy Martin, I thought was interesting yesterday, she said that she hasn't been involved with the party administration for five years. Well, this was 
is this less than five years old this whole foundation you know you've got to wonder what's yeah. going and on and stuff there. also has reported about um, the party secretaries Tracy's mum obviously used to mm. be one of them you know making these declarations saying this is how much we received in donations but actually the foundation reveals they've received vastly more mm. than they're declaring hey but um, this might be feeling a little bit familiar for people who've been following politics for a while let's have a look back um, to this track from 2008 <laughs> Winston Peters getting yet more practice at refusing to answer the most basic questions. I've told you to go away. His trademark bluster aimed at his favourite enemy. Just, just run along, would you? As Princess Anne said, why don't you nap off? The questions relate to the Spencer Trust, set up in 2005 to funnel donations into New Zealand First's accounts. Bank records show a $25,000 donation from Sir Robert Jones was deposited into the Trust, along with two other anonymous donations of $25,000 and $10,000. A lump sum of $50,000 was then channelled into New Zealand First's coffers, but that money was never declared to electoral officials. It was spent in, in that election period uh, on New Zealand First and it's hard to see how he's not in breach of the Electoral Act. I've spoken to two of the trustees, Winston Peters' brother Wayne Peters and Whangarei lawyer Grant Curry. They've handed the records over to the SFO and say the trust's done nothing wrong, but they can't speak for what happened after the money went to New Zealand First. Would you mind if we asked you as former president uh, why the $50,000 from Spencer Trust wasn't declared? No, 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 no comment from me. Even if there has been a breach, the Electoral Commission can't prosecute because the six-month time limit has run out. Helen Clark staying out of the row. Obviously there are two inquiries going on. One is Privileges Committee and the other is the Serious Fraud Office and I don't intend to comment on the substance of anything. And Winston Peters clearly still has some supporters. Keep it up, Winnie. <laughs> Leave me alone. And uh, smart viewers there would have noticed uh, Jess Much Mackay uh, making a good appearance with Winston again. Yeah, the back then of times. just Jess Much, I think. <laughs> Jess Much, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Jess Much with brown, with with brown, brown hair. hair. Yeah. Brown hair. Uh, and she's also been on the receiving, you know, just speaking of what oh, you yeah. mentioned, that uh, one of our colleagues was called a, a psycho by Winston Peters earlier this week. Jess Much was called a drongo yes. uh, by Winston Peters back in the day. So uh, oh, I think we've all been called there. idiots. Stupid. Do you know what you're talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of the number of times I've been... Ranting and raving. Ranting and raving. Yeah. But believe it or not, there has been other political issues going on this week. And um, water is... is, is continually a big issue uh, in this country in various ways um, and I think will we'll also be a big issue going to the election next year around all the freshwater policies and so forth but Mikey did have a good story around water bottling as well let's take a look Demand overseas for New Zealand's pristine water has sparked vigorous public protest and forced strong political debate. We understand the sense of unfairness that people feel. People that use it for economic benefit should pay for it. I think that does breed resentment. Now One News can reveal export demand for bottled water has skyrocketed. In September 2018, New Zealand was sending 31.5 million litres overseas. This year, that's jumped to nearly 118 million litres, a more than 270% increase valued at just over $61 million. It's a lot of water. It's a lot of our best clean water. Um, it's also an awful lot of plastic bottles. 
She says it's only the tip of the iceberg. Overseas interest is expanding, with the bulk of the exports heading to China, followed by the US. We're no longer seeing little small, small plants operating um, locally. We're seeing large plants that have massive investment from overseas. Putting a price on water is a tricky political issue. Labour, New Zealand First and the Greens all promised action at the last election, but two years on and the details still being debated. We're focused on making sure that water bottlers pay a fair royalty. That's what New Zealanders expect. This is just another area where they've failed miserably to deliver on their promises. There are some complications around it relating to Maori rights and interests and some other issues which we're trying to work through. Options include a royalty and a possible fee on the containers, but opponents say such a move could drive demand. What that creates is a revenue stream, which is going to incentivise consents to be granted. Another consideration for the government as it navigates new terrain on water. So those figures came from Statistics New Zealand and they basically collate um, those numbers in terms of our water bottle bottling exports um, year on year. And the interesting, th- interesting thing was that from 2016 through to about 2018, sort of, we saw just slight increases there in terms of um, the litres being exported overseas, um, sort of uh, by about 3,000, sort of going up each year by 3,000. And then in the last year, we saw that sort of quadruple um, almost and go up by that you know 274 percent odd um, to around 113 litres um, which is massive and which obviously in that story um, they're putting down to the fact that we're just seeing more investment um, from overseas into water bottling factories here and it is a contentious issue um, for the public I mean I've just you know we put that story up and you get so much public feedback people do not like the idea um, of our water being sent over And the biggest argument, of course, is, you know, it's only a small amount of the total water volume that New Zealand has. Um, But those critics um, of of sending our water overseas would argue that actually, you know, um, some areas are already over allocated. It's not as simple as just looking at it like that. um, And that, you know, um, it's just, it's it's an asset that we need to to do more of in terms of government policy. To keep in our hands. And this is another, you know, speaking about the, the 1800 police recruits, this is another um, issue that Labor's really struggling with in terms of election promises. One of the promises was to put, bring in royalty or do something about water bottling. It was a huge issue at the last election. For all of and them, right? Including all of the parties New Zealand talking first. about it. The Greens want, you know, everyone's, you know, it's been a huge issue. And the problem, the reason why they struggle so much to form a policy and get this over the line is because it comes back to that problem. If you start charging for water, who owns the water? Who and owns who, the water? And it opens up a whole can of worms. Are we going to just charge on, on, on water bottling? What about water used in milk? What about water used in beer? All of those what about things, any rights? sort of commercial it, use of water. Sort of, it comes back to, a, it's, it's a huge problem, which is why it's a, in the too hard basket. And we thought when David Parker was releasing those um, new rules around foreign ownership this week, that that would be a stronger part of it. And it just, just wasn't there. And which I think just shows you how hard it is for the mm. government to, to really try and work out how they're going to do this.
Yeah, and you sort of already mentioned, you know, I've taken a paper to cabinet, which is usually sort of close to the end point when they start taking papers to cabinet. The sort of experts have um, uh, done the work behind it, come up with some options, they take it to cabinet. um, But he said that cabinets told him, you know, go away, do more work on it. It's, you know, it's something that is going to be tricky leading into the election for Labour, especially especially when you're talking about Māori rights and interests, because they've got that huge block of um, Māori MPs, they hold all of the Māori seats so they need to tread delicately when it comes to addressing those adequately um, but also keeping the peace if you like with um, the general voter. Do you think they will do anything? Um, David Parker seems quite confident that he'll have something um, before uh, uh, Cabinet in the new year. Um, That's quite ambitious, considering it is so tricky. Um, But when you do have, you know, the likes of this issue in the coalition agreement between Labour and New Zealand first, so you've got those two major parties there um, on board with this, um, there's no reason why they shouldn't. I think what it takes is a little bit of courage, a little bit of bravery. There's another B B word that you could use for what it takes. Um, <laughs> Benedict? Bottling. No, yeah, bottling. That's it. Um, <laughs> I think if yeah, anyone can do it, it, it's David Parker. Water is a huge thing. He was a water lawyer. You know, this is this is his area of expertise and he's passionate about this area. And he has been trying to make moves in terms of um, all that tinkering around with the RMA and, and reform around fresh water and, you know, a lot of those issues. And so I think he probably will be very determined to try and get something through. But just because they take it to Cabinet early in the new year doesn't mean they're yeah. going to be able to get legislation mm. through by the election. So that's why I'm saying it could be another... Uh, and it could be so tricky that they do want to they do, do, do want to take it to the election so it. that they can, yeah. you know, get the public feel on it instead of sort of going in hard with a firm decision and, and possibly um, getting burnt by that. Speaking of a, another issue that's um, tricky for the government and tricky particularly for Labour's Māori MPs uh, and how on earth they're going to deal with it, and that's Ihu Mātau. Uh, we saw some developments again in this on that this week and I think we'll see some more over the next few weeks but take a look at this track first The winner of this year's Album of the Year sending a message to the Prime Minister She should go down to Umato and that we're still standing on stolen land. Jacinda Ardern has yet to visit Ihumato, but today behind closed doors the Finance Minister met with Fletchers I don't think it's in the interest of them or anybody else to go into the details, but it was constructive. One News understands the most likely option is for Auckland Council to buy the land from Fletcher's. The price tag is estimated to be up to $40 million, twice what was paid for it. The council would have to borrow the money from the government because it's essentially broke. There are a number of players here, Mana Whenua, uh, the, the Fletcher's themselves, obviously the Auckland Council. Uh, we have to work through all of those uh, different players to be able to find a solution, but we we want to do it as soon as we can. Those standing their ground at Ihumato, not impressed. I didn't know how, on a council level, how they would sort of come in and then be able to pay for that. If it's not already stolen land, uh, now they're wanting taxpayers' money to pay for the stolen land to give it back. The Kingitanga says the council option has come as a surprise. It's not the buy Māori for Māori solution it envisaged and it expects the government will come back to it with a proposed resolution. What's going to happen here is this is going to, if it happens, reopen full and final treaty settlements in New Zealand. That is incredibly dangerous. In fact, it's a disaster. We do not want to send any precedent that undermines the treaty process. Politically, 
the Prime Minister is feeling the pressure to get a deal done before election year and before she visits Ratna and Waitangi. One News understands a deal could be done in two stages. The first, the sale of the land to say council, and the second, leaving council to work with mana whenua on how the land will be used. Heritage New Zealand is considering a proposal to give the land outstanding heritage status. And it's hoped the first stage of a deal could be finalised before Christmas. I think um, what was interesting there is what Grant Robertson wasn't saying publicly and, and what people were very careful to skirt around, and that is that they are desperate to get this sorted mm. and get it sorted before Christmas because, as, as I said in the track, Jacinda Ardern doesn't want to turn up at Ratana at the first big political event of the year and then at Waitangi where she's going to be there for like six days next year. You know, there's a, this, is, this is the beginning of the year for her and if this isn't sorted, she is just going to cop it the whole time. I think no matter what solution the government try and comes up with, she's still going to cop it on Ihumatel and no matter what. But I think if they feel like they've got something there um, and they feel they've done their part and there's movement happening, they'll at least be able to stand on the marae and say that rather than having to stand there and say we've failed to get anything sorted. It does seem like the most eloquent mm. solution. It is a tricky area you know they can't exactly do anything that could potentially trigger other iwi um sort of bringing up um uh, old grievances and saying hey <laughs> actually we weren't too happy yeah. with what happened yeah. here yeah. or even reigniting so. yeah mm. and and the the crown can't so you know the obvious question you go well, why doesn't the government just buy it well that's why and it, it essentially is confiscation if they buy if the if taxpayers pay for this land so they have to get the council to buy it if, if it's going to stay in public hands or if it's going to come back into public hands. Um, Auckland Council doesn't have any money. So Auckland Council is also not allowed to borrow any money. They've reached their debt limits and they, you know, they're already struggling to pay for like the extra share of the city rail link, for instance. So then to pay $40 million. The, count, oh, the council is in a really difficult position here as well. Yeah. But the feeling is, is they want it in, in public hands, not in Fletcher's hands. And then if it goes back to the council, the council can then work with mana whenua, the different groups involved, it's not just one group, remember, to try and work out how much of that land is reserved, if there's any housing yeah. and so what, what do you think? Do you think they're there could be avenue for, for some development to happen there and some to well, go into this reserve. Is, this is or? part of the problem, is that there are parts of, of the people involved in this dispute who do want the housing there. They do want yeah. Papakainga. They do. You know, it's South Auckland. It's Auckland. They desperately need housing. Mm. And, you know, more Māori housing is needed in that area. We saw that with the electoral we boundary know, changes yeah, we know there's how, growth there's out, out those huge ways. growth out yeah. in this area. They need the housing there. And, um, and, and so the balance, I think, once they work out this stage of, of how they get it back and how they get the land back into public hands is to then work out between those different groups between and with with Kingitanga, with Mana Whenua, with whoever with Seoul, with all those groups mm. and how much of that land stays as a reserve how much, if any, can be used for papakainga or whatever social services or whatever else may be wanted on that land and to still treat it in, in, in the special way that they want it. What's helping here is Heritage New Zealand is considering that application from Seoul to make it a, an outstanding heritage area, um, which, which will help the whole process because it can then be kept as a reserve. Do we know where Seoul is at on 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 this? Um, well, they wouldn't solution, comment on. Yeah, they wouldn't solution. comment on this proposal. Was part of. Part and of are it. they involved in the discussions with Fletcher's and the government and, and council? Well, I think what's happening is the high level discussions are happening about getting that land back and who pays for it because. 
they don't have $40 million to buy the lands. Of course, the, the solution they want, and as the Kingitanga said, they were not happy about this, um, is they want a, a solution that's buy Māori for Māori. But that money has to come from somewhere. They, Fletcher's isn't going to give that land away. Um, and obviously that would be a great solution for, in some people's eyes, but Fletcher's aren't just going to mm. give the land back. And so someone's going to have to pay for that land. And then it needs to get into public hands and, if possible, into Māori hands. And so it is it's, it's just not an easy... There isn't an easy solution no, to this. No, quite a balancing act. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's a lot that's got to go on. Um, and I think... Yeah, the the government, I think, I do think that this idea of passing it on to the council is essentially throwing it back at the council and the government saying, OK, we've done our bit, we'd, uh, we what don't have to deal with this anymore. And then the council, you know, but the council, some of the council didn't want that land sold in the first place, you know, and so it goes back a long way, yeah. you know, um, in terms of in terms of what's happened with that, and you'd land. have to think that any sort of loan that they that loan, and I put yep. that in quotation marks, that they get from the government will have a sweet sweet deal yeah. attached to it because, as you mentioned, they, they are broke. They don't want to borrow any more money. You know, it's not really their headache to <laughs> yeah. deal with. The government inserted itself, you know, Jacinda Ardern Labor yeah. into this issue. Now they're saying, oh look, we've got the solution. Hey council, you take the loan. Although and at the end of the day, you, the council did you can sell the land the to Fletcher's. At the end of the day, the council were the ones who sold the land to Fletcher's. So, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. Interestingly, Fletcher's have their uh, um, shareholders meeting next week. So uh, this may be a topic of discussion there, which I'll be keeping a close eye on as well. Cool. Yeah. So um, big week here at Parliament. We've got a recess next week. Um, hopefully, Mikey will be here next week if she's not. It's I hope I'm not here next week. If she <laughs> isn't here, it's because baby number five yes. <laughs> has arrived. Uh, but hope, we hope she'll be here next week. And uh, I've never had a baby come early, so more, um, more demand I, I for the playground. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> at least we know Mikey's making sure that playground gets used. Yeah, <laughs> no, it should be good. So hopefully, see you guys next week. And if not, then cool. uh, you know, happy New Year and all of that jazz. Cool. That was One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook and it's also available uh, around this time each week on One News Now and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Yeah.